Welcome to the Feathered Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome to the Feathered Desert, everyone. This is part four of Family Corviday, our final episode on this amazing bird family. In part four, we are discussing jays. This is actually my second favorite bird in the Corvidae family. My first is ravens, and I know Cheryl is extremely partial to crows. Yes, I am. So if you have listened to the previous three parts, which hopefully you have, if not, please do so later, you know that this bird family is celebrated for its complicated behaviors and problem-solving skills. Jays are no exception to this. And the one attribute they are most well-known for is their spatial memory capacity. So, first question is, what exactly is spatial memory? (laughs) Spatial memory. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, We need to know about this. It's important. Spatial memory is a form of memory responsible for the recording and recovery of information needed to plan a course to a location and to recall the location of an object or the occurrence of an event. Something that humans need more More of. of. (laughs) Yes. Spatial memory is necessary for orientation in space. So in layman's terms, it was kind of a complicated definition. It means you can recall where you put your car keys or you remember the route to the grocery store. Without this kind of memory, you just stumble through life coming across things randomly. Yes. And they don't need coffee. Yes. No, they don't (laughs) need coffee at all for that. Their brain is just functioning. So the part of the brain that processes spatial memory is the hippocampus. The hippocampus of both mammals, including humans, and birds are functionally identical, meaning they both process the same kind of information in the same way. Isn't that fascinating? It really is. Birds that rely heavily on seed caching, like our jays, have an enlarged hippocampus. I think humans need a much larger hippocampus. Yes, we, we hide things and we can't find <laughs> <Yes>. them. <laughs> Their enlarged hippocampus helps jays remember all the places they've hidden seeds for future use. In general, they have an 85% retrieval rate, which to me is like 100%. That's amazing. The size of the hippocampus in jays was quite a surprise when scientists discovered it, but it has led to a whole variety of questions about bird memory and social relationships. Birds. It's never-ending. It's never-ending amazingness. Yes. The interesting facts and just how I marvel at them. So we're going to start off with the Canada Jay, and I'm kind of excited about this I was when I found out I was going to talk about them because, first of all, I didn't know they were in Arizona. My first experience with the Canada Jay was up when I was up in Yellowstone this uh, summer. Oh, yeah, right. And um, so we are lucky to have five different Jays in Arizona, and we are going to talk about one that is found in only a small portion of northeast Arizona. First, the Canada Jay. Now, there are several subspecies of the Canada Jay that range across the northern North American continent. And the one we will see most commonly in Arizona is a medium-sized bird at approximately 11.5 inches with gray wings and tail, white chest, and pale gray underparts. It's actually quite pretty. The head is white with a gray stripe. That circles the head from eye to eye. The beak and legs are both black. The Canada Jay has no crest and a short, small beak. Juveniles are all gray. 
the gray, the jay, excuse me, is also known as the gray jay, the camp robber, <laughs> and the whiskey jack. And I have a story to go with the camp robber. Yes, they I'm are sure. found mainly in con- um, conifers uh, forests in Arizona, and they eat insects, berries, seeds, carrion, carrion, bird eggs, and fungi. That's interesting. Do they eat mushrooms or? It just said fungi, so I'm assuming mushrooms and other types things, of things fungi. that grow on the side yeah. of trees. I would. Yeah. They forage in trees, shrubs on the ground, so I guess that mushrooms, and can catch insects on the wing. As we talk about, as we talked about before, this jay caches food, but they have something that sets them apart from other jays. They have super sticky saliva, and when they find food they want to cache, such as seeds, they coat it with their sticky saliva and they deposit it on the sides of a tree trunk or the bottom of a tree branch. Huh. Once the saliva dries, it hardens around the food and keeps it safe for later use. Oh, I'm thinking of the chicken. Mm. The reason they place it on tree trunks is to keep it available when the snow covers the ground, especially in the northern regions where they are found. They are not non-migratory birds, so they tough out the winter wherever they live. Placing their uh, caches above the snow allows them to survive the winter and awards them the most northern the most northernly jay on the continent. That is so interesting. It really and is the pretty cool. reason I mentioned chicken is I might have shared this story with Kirsten before. But this summer we went uh, had a family reunion and we were camping in Yellowstone. And we were actually in the um, campground within Yellowstone. And we were doing um, a, a get-together and we were having a barbecue and we were doing um, chicken kebabs. Mm. So we had uh, the chicken and it wasn't cooked. But it was laying out there ready for people to, you know, pick up and skewer and then go over to the uh, campfire and cook their chicken. And these little birds, well, they weren't little, but these birds started to collect (laughs) above our picnic table. And I was noticing them and I'm going, what are you? I asked, I actually looked up on one and said, what are you thinking? And before I could even get the thought out, swooped down, grabbed a piece of chicken off of our um, the cutting board, the board that it was sitting on, and flew away. And there were three, and after that bird did that, there were five. And I go, okay, okay. we need to save the chicken. <laughs> but that is so interesting because I was worried that it had taken chicken that wasn't cooked. But yeah. it, that's probably not unusual for that bird. I mean, if they're eating and carrion, they're, then... Yeah, and if they're uh, keeping it, I thought, well, he's going to store it... The bird's going to store it away, and it's not going to be fresh. But yeah. it would be fresh if that's what it was doing with it. Yeah, I don't know how much they do it with meat items. Um, the stuff that I found talks mainly about seeds and, like, insects. But, I mean, maybe they do, and it encapsulates it with that little covering of saliva. Well, they took green pepper, uh, potatoes. <laughs> maybe they're making stew and, for later in the and winter. carrots before we could cover everything. <laughs> A few chips. And a roll. It sounds like a balanced meal to me. (laughs) And they kept hanging around. So um, Camp Robber fits them just perfectly. Yes. All right. We're going to move on to the Mexican Jay. We're traveling down to the southeastern corner of Arizona to talk about the Mexican Jay. Once again, there are several subspecies of this jay, and their coloration can vary by population. The one found in Arizona ranges between 11 to 13 inches in length, the face, head, neck, 
back, wings, and tail are a bright sky blue color, while the throat, chest, and belly are white. They have no visible crest. The beak is long and wider at the head, tapering down to the end. It is black. That's the beak. The beak is, sorry, the beak is black, as are their legs. And they prefer pine, oak, and juniper woodlands. They eat fruits, insects, seeds, carrion, bird eggs, and acorns, which you're going to find is kind of what all jays eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and acorns are especially coveted by the Mexican jay and are often cached for later use. They find about 85% of these cached acorns, but the ones they forget about are extremely important to the environment because they will grow into mighty oaks. Mexican jays are very family-oriented jays and can live in groups of 5 to 25 that often contain parents, siblings, and other relatives in the same territory or in an adjacent territory. They can live up to 20 years surrounded by family. With the warming temperatures brought on by climate change, Mexican jays in Arizona now lay eggs 10 days earlier than they used to back in the 1970s. That is interesting that they know that and the birds have adjusted. Yes, it's very unusual for wildlife to catch up so quickly, but these jays, they're catching on. I think birds are ahead of themselves. Yes. Or at least ahead of us. They're ahead of us for sure. (laughs) So the next jay we're going to talk about is the pinion jay. This amazing jay is found throughout most of Arizona, except, there's always an exception, the southwestern portion of the state. Probably because they're connected to the pinion. Yeah. It's probably where it's not found in the state. Yeah. And the pinion jay is approximately 10 and a half inches in length and is a lovely azure blue. I like to say that word. Mm -hmm. From head to tail because I can. (laughs) (laughs) They have no visible crest. The beak and legs are both black. Clear leg feathers can be seen giving them the look of pants. Oh, my gosh. They do look like they're wearing little pants. The beak is thin but great for cracking open seeds. They prefer habitats with ponderosa pines, pinion juniper and junipers, and mixed forests of oak and pine. They eat nuts, pine seeds, grass seeds, berries, fruits, insects, and eggs. They forage in trees mostly, but will go to the ground for something worth their while and have been seen searching for food in their uh, conifers forests at elevations of 3,000 to 8,000 feet above sea level. Unlike other jays, the pinion jay does not have feathers that cover their nostrils. This is because they probe deep into the pitch-covered pine cones to extract seeds, and if they had feathers covering their nostrils, they would get all goopy. It is also why this jay's beak is so slender uh, compared to other corvids. That is noticeable, and that's interesting that they have that adaption. Yeah. Or lack of an adaption. Breeding season is in pinion jays is closely correlated to the seed seed seeding of excuse me, seeding time of the pinion pine. And when green pine cones appear, it can trigger their breeding hormones. These birds can live in flocks up to five hundred. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of uh, birds on your feeder. Yeah. <laughs> and they they often stay in that flock their entire lives. Wow. So those aren't necessarily families like the Mexican jay. That, that's just community. Yeah, it seems like it's community. I'm sure there's probably families in there, but, I mean, it's 500 individuals, so you're going to be able to find extent- someone you're not related to for sure. It's quite yeah. an extended family if it is. 
They often stay in their entire lives. They have a strict dominance hierarchy that they abide by that is decided through observation alone and not direct interaction. For example, if J.H. sees J.T., <laughs> a dominant bird to J.H., respect J.F.'s dominance, J.H. will also concede to J.F.'s dominance without having to physically interact with him. Hmm. That makes that's a lot like, of sense. That's like mutual respect. It is. And I think it makes a whole lot of sense. If you're in a group of 500 birds and you need to know who's dominant over the other one and you're constantly fighting all day long, I mean, you're, you're going to get nowhere. Yeah, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, so I think that that's, it's, it's, it's so amazing that they just say, well, hey, I guess if he's dominant to this guy who's dominant over to me, I'm just going to give you the benefit yeah. of the doubt. See, we could learn something from birds there again. Yes. They get more done than we do. Absolutely. Okay, our next J is our most strikingly colored J, in my opinion, the Stellar's J. And the Stellar's J is approximately 11 and a half inches in length with a black head, face, neck, and back, and a light blue underbelly and dark blue wings and tail that have black striping. So they're kind of like color blocked. So mostly their upper part is black with their lower body being blue. Very, very pretty. This jay has a prominent black crest that can raise or lower. In Arizona, they are found in the eastern portion of the state with some residents in the northwestern areas as well. We are in the eastern half of their North American range and our populations often have thin white stripes on the face above the eye and on the forehead. So like most of our other jays, they do prefer wooded habitats as their chosen area. And they like to eat nuts, seeds, acorns, small invertebrates, and bird eggs. The crests on the Stellar's jay is actually used to communicate with other jays. So when the crest is raised to 90 degrees, this can indicate an imminent attack. But if the crest is lowered flat, the jay will most likely retreat. If you happen to be another jay coming up uh, upon them, then they'll just put it down and be like, oh, I'm cool, I'm going to go my other way. The length of the crest will actually vary by population, and it is determined by the openness of the vegetation in their habitat and the effectiveness of the crest as a social cue. There are several subspecies of this jay, ranging somewhere between 15 to 17 different subspecies um, that are found throughout the western portion of the U.S., only in the western portion of the U.S., they actually get their name from George Steller, S-T-E-L-L-E-R, the European naturalist who discovered the species in 1741. Okay, so I have a question. Yes. It has to do with subspecies. Yes. So what exactly is that? A subspecies usually turns out to be population differences. So there are a bunch of Stellar's jays in the western portion of the United States, but within populations... They're slightly different. So say there's one up in Northern California, and they kind of all look very similar and the same. They don't have the white striping on their face. Let's say that. Well, you go a little bit farther down into Southern California, and then there's going to be another population, and maybe they have like one or two stripes on their face. So they're still Stellar's Jays, but they're slightly different. So there's variations in color? It can be variations in color. It can be variations in behaviors. Um that's what kind of determines it. And scientists will look at it and say, is this entire population behaving this way? Or is it just, you know, one or two birds? 
And if it's an entire population, then they usually will give it a subspecies. So it's still a Stellar's J, but it'll be, it'll have two scientific names and then a third one at the end, indicating that I'm still a Stellar's J, but I'm this kind of Stellar's J, and opposed to that kind of Stellar's J. Okay. So they're all Stellar's J's. We just have specific things that make us a little bit different from other ones. Because of where they live. Because it's generally, generally because of where because they of live. Where, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, Kirsten. You're welcome. So our next J, and I didn't even know we had this J, was a Woodhouse, is a Woodhouse's scrub J. And this is our final Arizona J, the Woodhouse scrub J. Their approximate length is 11 and a half inches, and they have a blue head with a thin white eyebrow stripe and gray cheek patch. Their neck, wings, and tail are blue. The upper back is a dark gray, and the throat is white, and the underparts are light gray. Well, that sounds very striking, very pretty bird. Yeah. Beak and legs are black. They have no crest. They are found in the majority of, Ari- in the majority of Arizona, with the exception of the southwestern corner. They are found only in the southwestern region of the United States and central Mexico. Hmm. Prefers pinyon pines and juniper forests, but can also be found in oak woodlands and mixed forests. They eat insects, grains, small lizards, frogs, fruits, and bird eggs. And they have been seen picking ticks off the back uh, backs of mule deer. Oh, I'm sure the deer said thank you yes. for that. Yes. <laughs> the Woodhouse scrub jay used to be lumped together with other species of scrub jays, all called the Western scrub jay. But as time has gone by and populations of birds become more isolated, ah, that kind of explains subspecies too, have broken the western scrub jay into different species such as the California scrub jay and the Woodhouse's scrub jay. When these birds range across the, when they ranged across the entire United States, the Florida scrub jay was also included in this group and all were just called scrub jays. There is also the island scrub jay that lives only on the island of Santa Cruz off the coast of California. This particular jay is helping scientists replant trees that were burned from wildfires. So there be birds like stellar jays are becoming because their regions are be, their habitats are not being connected. Right. They're becoming more isolated. So scientists are seeing changes in the birds that differentiates them. From being generalized. Yes. Okay. Exactly. I got it. So, Thank you. speaking of replanting forests, it is actually one of the most important jobs that all jays across the continent have. When the birds cache their nuts and seeds, they don't just cache any nuts and seeds. They must be just right, kind of like Goldilocks. These birds look for the perfect nuts by shaking their heads after they've picked up the nut in their beak. This motion actually helps them determine the weight of the nut. The weight of the nut can tell them exactly how many seeds are in the shell and whether it's worth their effort to cash. This also means that these are healthy seeds and if buried, will grow into new trees. And as we mentioned before, jays have great memories, but they always miss a few caches. I think that's by design. Yes. So researchers on the island of Santa Cruz have put the island scrub jay to work replanting the island's lost trees by offering them acorns to cash. For a more in-depth look at this project, please check out our Groundbreaking Women of Ornithology Part 1 podcast. So in conclusion, we really hope that you've learned some new things from our Family Corvidae series. All four episodes were really amazing. 
I know both Cheryl and I have actually learned a lot as we researched and wrote each episode. And my brain is on overload. Yes. <laughs> this family of birds never stops amazing us. 